You ever been present when somebody passed away? You ever been there when, when somebody actually took their last breath and died and you were there to see it? One of the things about serving as a pastor that I did not expect, that really I didn't ever think about, is being present when people die. Uh, over the years, many times now, people will call and a loved one will be near the end and I will go and maybe it's at the hospital or sometimes at hospice or, or many times at their house and I will go and I will, I will arrive and I will be there and they're breathing and they are alive and then there is an instant when they stop breathing and they pass away. I can tell you it is a very surreal event. It is always a very sobering event. And no matter what is going on in life, no matter what has gone on that day, it is always a very heavy event when the result of sin, the, the consequence that was promised and began there in the Garden of Eden, the fate of every man has its final end and you're face to face with death. Some of you know that is a very heavy thing. I've seen it when it was older people. I've seen it when it was young people. I've seen it when it was, was an unexpected thing and it was a tremendous shock. Other times they knew that that end was coming. I've seen grief that is so heavy that people wailed and actually laid on the ground. I've seen other times when, when people were singing as the end came. And friends, I'll just tell you, I, I am always glad for that opportunity to point to Christ I'm glad to point to the peace and the comfort that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is a, a cherished honor to stand with families in such a meaningful time. But I want to tell you, I, I honestly hate that event. I hate to see it. I hate the tears. I, I, I hate the, 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 the loss that happens. I hate, I hate seeing that process of death. I can't ever get used to it. Some folks act like it gets easier. It never gets easier it is a heavy, heavy, profound event. Today in our study in the Gospel of Luke, we come to the account of the point where Jesus actually takes in his last breath and he exhales and he doesn't take another. Jesus dies. It is an astounding event. It really is a tremendous event. It is a very profound event. So much that is going on in this event, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today our message is entitled, The Lamb's Last Breath. The Lamb's Last Breath. We're in Luke chapter 23. Today verses 44 through 46. Just three verses today. Luke chapter 23 verses 44 through 46. I'm going to ask today as we begin our, our message today that you would prepare your hearts, that you would prepare your minds, uh, maybe that you would set aside any distraction as we handle such a sacred event today. Go ahead and stand. That's all right. <laughs> Again, such a sacred event, the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lamb's last breath, Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through 46. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, 
he breathed his last. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the forgiveness of sin that we have through the work of Jesus on the cross. We're thankful for the lamb that went to that cross, the perfect lamb, Jesus. As, as hard as it is, we're thankful for the death that secures our life, the, the death that purchases our redemption. Lord, I pray as we come to this event today that we would come with a seriousness. We would come with, a, with, a, with an attitude understanding that was our death. Do of us. I pray that we would see the sacred event maybe in a new light today. Lord, remove any distraction. And I pray that you would teach us and train us and shape us in your word today. Lord, I pray for some here that do not know you in this room. I pray that in the preaching of this, of this gospel, this good news, and the seeing and the death of our Savior Jesus, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray that you would draw them in their spirit. I pray the events of life, maybe you've brought them here, and the preaching of the gospel, that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, I pray for us here as believers that we would be profoundly impacted today. Wouldn't just come and pass through an hour and go back to the world, but we would be profoundly impacted today. Lord Jesus, we love you, we worship you, we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we begin today, be sure and understand we are truly limited in what we will take away from our verses today. This event and its implication is so broad, is so magnificent that we really could never take it all in. And so I want you to understand, as we come to this text, as we come to this event, we're going to try to take in all that we can, but we're going to be limited in what we can take out of this event. It is that magnificent. However, with that said, I want you to hear this. My prayer and my hope and my heart today is that we would see the death of our Savior Jesus perhaps more clearly than we ever have. And that is, that is my heart, that is my prayer as we pass through this, the actual event, that we would, we would see the death of Jesus perhaps as we never have and that we would be greatly impacted today. That is my hope in our study today. Let's begin looking at the verses starting in verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Listen to verse 44 again. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. The verse says it was now about the sixth hour. It starts off and it says it was now. Understand, this is a timeline. This is a progression. Luke is saying here, this, this had happened, and this had happened, and this had happened, and now this. It is a progression here. It is a, a timeline, and through it, Luke is showing again, this is the literal account, this is the historical account of the death of Jesus. Some are going to say these events are symbolic. You'll hear that. Some are going to say that these events were never met, meant to be read literally. You'll hear that. This is never meant to be interpreted literally. Literally, Well, 
to that, I would say God in his word is giving the literal times to the literal account. He is giving actual times to an actual event. And friend, understand that matters. And so as the timeline unfolds, understand God is giving an actual time for an actual event. No way is this literal in inter- is this not to be literal in interpretation. It truly matters. The verse says, it was now about the sixth hour. That would be 12 noon as they started their clock. It would be about 12 noon our time. It was about 12 noon. And darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. Well, that would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon if, if again it was in our Time. And so from 12 noon unto 3 o'clock, the Bible says that darkness fell. The brightest time of the day from 12 noon to 3 o'clock, the, the time when the sun would have been shining the brightest, that darkness fell. Now, the meaning to these words, each of them are, are very specific, and each of them hold a great value for our understanding. And so see the picture here. From 12 noon until 3 o'clock, darkness falls upon the land. The word darkness here in the original language means the absence of light. Now I want you to try to understand the magnitude of this. This is the removal of light. This is the, 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 the having of no light. Understand, it's not just dim. It's not just dark-ish. There is no light, the absence of light. It says over the whole land. Whole, the the Greek word, means entire, complete. It literally translates whole. And so I want you to understand this darkness, the absence of light, falls over the entire land. Now the word land, the Greek word here, Get this, it means this, the earth, the land of the earth. That is, that is how this word is used. You look it up, and that's the context of the word. And so do not sell, verse 44, short. Do not miss this. From 12 noon until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, in the brightest time of the day on the earth, there is no light. There is the absence of light on the earth from 12 noon to 3 o'clock over the entirety of the earth. The start of verse 45 says, because the sun was obscured. The sun was obscured. Now the, the New American Standard Version, the translation, that's the one I preach out of, it uses that word, the sun was obscured. I believe that word obscured in our thinking may be misinterpreted, may be misunderstood, may be as misleading today. In the original language, the word for obscured that we're getting obscured from literally means leaves out. It leaves out. The sun leaves out. Another translation is to fail or to cease. And so understand, the sun leaves out. From 12 noon until 3 o'clock, the sun ceases to shine. That's what the Word of God says. And so get the picture. Understand the picture here. Jesus is nailed to the cross. 
That whole ordeal, he's been mocked and he's been beaten and he's been marched up the hill to Calvary and he has been nailed there to the cross of Calvary and the people are watching the event. The Bible tells us that last week. The, the crowds, they are, they are shouting and the crowds are mocking Jesus and the religious leaders, they're somewhere and they're gloating over the fate of Jesus and it is quite the spectacle. It is all the talk. And then at noon, the earth goes dark. Total darkness prevails. Again, some say that is symbolic. There's many scholars that would say, well, it's, it's talking about a symbolic event here representing something else that no way is it literal, no way is it real. There's some that will explain it that way. It is a symbolic darkness. There are some, and maybe you've heard these as well, that say it is an eclipse. And they try to go on the patterns that we've seen, the patterns that we've measured, and they, they try to count back the days, and they try to use the different counters, and they try to say, you know what, on this day, and what a miraculous thing, there was an eclipse on that day. And they attribute this to an eclipse. I found that the longest total eclipse that has ever existed is seven and a half minutes. They try to say, you know what, there's an eclipse, and for three hours there was a, an eclipse, and that's what they attribute this to. Others say that it was a great sandstorm and they, could, they can try to prove the events that the, the sand blew and it, and it darkened the sun and, and there during these hours from noon to three o'clock the sun is dimmed as the sand blows in the wind. Heard another one, read another one that said that a, a local fog for some reason had rolled in. That's not what I believe. I believe, listen, this is the physical display of the spiritual reality and both are literal. That's what I believe is happening here. I believe it is the physical display at the hand of God of the, of the spiritual reality and I believe both are literal. I believe that the full wrath of God is being now poured out on Jesus. You say, well, how do you get that? Where do you arrive at that at? Well, listen, the, the wages of sin is death. The consequence for sin is death. At three o'clock, we're gonna see that Jesus dies and this is, this is the actual payment for sin. And I believe that in this time, the full wrath of God for every sin, every single sin, every vile sin, every wicked sin, every secret sin, every sin that we think that we got away with, every sin that we think is of no consequence, every careless, flippant sin, every deliberate sin that we plotted and headed into to satisfy ourselves, every sin, the sin of every man, every sin, God is pouring out his wrath on that sin on Jesus Christ. And I believe that God in his hatred for sin in his judgment of sin, as Jesus hangs there on this cross, sinless and now yet having become sin, that God extinguishes the sun, that God removes the light, and the world in this time hangs in total darkness. How could it be anything else? How could there be light that would shine anywhere when the lamb is being slaughtered? How could it be anything else? How could there be any light when sin is being paid for? How could there be any light as sin is judged and wrath pours out? Only darkness would make sense. 
It's not an eclipse. It's not a sandstorm, but God himself reverses what he said in the motion in Genesis when he said, let there be light, and now his wrath is poured out. The world hangs in darkness. Can you imagine? Total darkness. As Jesus endures the wrath of God towards sin. Now that's not it. That's not all of it. The verse continues and it says, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now, I'm not going to be able to get this fully displayed for you. I'm going to try my best today, but I want you to understand what has happened here. In the temple, the innermost part, the most holy part, the part that God chose to reveal his presence is called the Holy of Holies. It was where the Ark of the Covenant rested. There in this Holy of Holies, once a year, the high priest would go into a a process of cleansing himself. He would take off his normal garments and he would put on a robe of white which would signify repentance. He would sacrifice a bull and a ram for himself and for the other priests that would serve. Again, a, a period of cleansing. And then he would go into the Holy of Holies and he would take in his hand the blood of the bull and he would splash that blood on the ark, on the mercy seat, on the floor around it. He would take that blood and he would spread it across and it would begin to, to run down. The blood of this, of this bull it began to pull there on the floor and it was quite a gruesome event. And he would take this, this blood and again splash it and, and it would start to pull up there on the floor. He would also take in two goats and in the process before God like casting lots one goat would be identified and it would also be sacrificed and its, its blood would be added to the blood of the bull and it would also be, be splattered there on the, the mercy seat and there again on the floor and it would run down and this other goat would be sacrificed as well and the remaining goat the high priest would take his hands and he would place his hands on the head of that goat, symbolically transferring the sins of the nation. All of the, the sins of God's people, all the sins of the nation are symbolically placed on this goat. And then that lamb, that, that goat would be led outside of town and released, symbolizing the carrying away of the nation's sin. This is the day of atonement. Well, this curtain, this veil, separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. This curtain, I want you to understand the, the, the thing about this curtain. This curtain was a, a constant reminder that all of mankind is on the outside with access to a holy God on the inside. This veil, this curtain was a reminder that all sinners are on the, on the outside, but the symbolic presence of God Almighty is there on the inside. And when you looked at the veil, you knew you were separated from God. The veil, it was a reminder of the fall of the garden. The veil, it was a reminder of the broken relationship due to sin. There is the veil. Our relationship is broken. 
The veil was a reminder that man has no access to God. Most people couldn't even get in close enough to see the veil. But if you can see the veil, you can see there is no access to God. The veil was the reminder of sin, the terrible reality of sin, that sin has a consequence, that we need a mediator, that we need a lamb. The the veil was a reminder that we're doomed in our sin. And there between God and his beloved mankind stands this veil, the reminder of sin, the consequence of sin, the separation of sin. Oh, can you see the veil and the ugliness that it represents? The holiness of God is on the other side, but we in our sin are separated by this veil. Verse 45 says, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Friends, don't miss that. Friends, don't overlook that. As Jesus dies out there on the cross, as Jesus pays for my sin, every sin I ever commit, as Jesus pays for our sins, as Jesus' blood runs out and it runs down the cross and as it pulls there on the ground beneath the cross, atonement is made and the sacrificial system ends and the barrier is gone and sinners are redeemed and the curse is lifted and through Jesus Christ, man can have access to God. And while out there on Calvary, wrath is poured out and blood is poured out and judgment is delivered upon Jesus and the lamb dies because of our sin and darkness covers the day as that happens out there. In here, grace is unveiled, mercy is unleashed, redemption is secured, salvation is purchased and God himself tears the veil in two. It is torn asunder. It is torn. No more. What a Savior. What a Savior. I read that. What a Savior. Wrath endured for redemption to be offered. What a Savior we have in Jesus. Wrath endured that forgiveness would even be a possibility. What a Savior we have. That happens out there and grace in here. What a Savior. Friends, let me tell you some good news. Let me tell you some good news. The veil is still torn. The veil is still torn. Listen to me, not for some. It wasn't a limited atonement. Not for a few, but for all. It tears completely. It's torn in two. The veil is torn. Listen, the good news is the veil is still torn. We have forgiveness through the work of the Lamb, Jesus. The veil is still torn. And any man that would cry out, what about my sin? What about my sin so terrible? What about my sin so great? Listen, the good news is the veil is still torn. We have access to God through Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Verse 46, and Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, 
Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. I don't know. Very sacred verse. Very profound verse. Maybe as profound as any we find in Scripture. And Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Having said this, Jesus breathed his last. The wages of sin is death. Be sure and understand today, nothing short of death would save us. The beating was not enough. The mocking, the rejection was not enough. The cross, the cross by itself was not enough. Even the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus wasn't enough. The righteous must die for sinners to go free. The payment is death. The price is death. The Bible says, Jesus breathed his last. Can you imagine that? Can you, can you imagine that honestly? The creator of life, the one that breathed, the one that gave the breath of life, he has been beaten, he has been rejected, he's been butchered there on the cross of Calvary and he breathed in one last time. Can you imagine that hanging there on that Roman cross? He breathed in one last time and there the creator of everything, the sustainer of all things, the perfect lamb of God breathed out one last time. And he died. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? I can't imagine that. Did, did the guards lean in? He breathes in one last time. He breathes out. Do the guards all lean in? Do they feel any mercy in their hearts? Did the thief there saved in the grace of Jesus, saved in the grace of God, did he watch over? Did he wince as he drew his last breath? Did he wince on his cross? The crowd that was there, the crowd that had started enduring, did the, did the crowd gasp? Did Mary hush to hear? Will there be another one? Does she strain to listen as her son Jesus is on the cross and she sees the breath go out? Does she strain to hear? Will there be another one? What about in heaven? Did the angels all stand silent, peering in disbelief? What's wrong with these people? The Savior, Jesus, they killed him on a cross. Do the angels stand silent? Do the hosts of heaven, the, the, the angelic choirs there in heaven, do they stop singing? Is there silence in heaven? There's nothing to celebrate. Jesus is dead. What about the Father? His beloved Son, His only begotten Son, what about the Father? What about His heart? He breathes in one last breath and the other breath goes out and then there's no more. What about the Father's heart? Did He say again, see my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He breathed in one last time and He breathed out and Jesus died.
Notice, maybe the sweetest words of the entire ordeal. Jesus cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Maybe the sweetest words of the entire ordeal. Jesus, as he, as he prepares to breathe his last breath, speaks to the Father. and He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's not upset. There's no angst with the Father. There's no disunity with the Father. There's no discord with the Father. Really, it's just complete trust in the Father. Father, into your hands, your hands, I commit my spirit. Listen, no better hands, no gentler hands, no kinder hands than the hands of the Father. No more trustworthy hands. Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. He trusts the Father. He trusts the Father. Luke chapter 23, verse 46. It is completed. Jesus is dead. Jesus paid it all. It is completed. Here's the question for us today Where's your trust? That's the question for us today. Where, where's your trust? Who are you trusting in for your salvation? Is, is Jesus your Savior? That's, that's the question today. The price is paid in Jesus. He's paid for sin. In, in grace, he offers us forgiveness by faith in him. Where is your trust today? Have you put your trust in Jesus? See, the Bible says when we do, we're saved. The Bible says it's finished in this cross. The Bible says we put our faith in Jesus, our trust in Jesus, we are saved. Listen, where is your trust today? Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. And I'm thankful for these verses. I'm thankful for the truth of these verses. More than that, I'm thankful for the Savior of these verses, Jesus. I'm thankful that as the calls went out, as the jeering went out, save yourself, save yourself. That had you saved yourself, I would be eternally forever lost in my sin. Lord, I'm thankful for your grace and for your love, for your commitment, for your resolve. I'm thankful for your sacrifice. Not of a lamb this time, but of the perfect lamb, Jesus, your blood shed. Not a scapegoat who would run away with my sins, but a savior who would take my sins, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We worship you. Lord, I pray that right now as we see this picture that our hearts are changing, that our hearts are turning. I pray for us to hear that are, are saved, that have put our faith in Christ, that we have a renewed picture, maybe a deeper picture of your death, the cost of our redemption. And I pray for some in this room right now that do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I pray that today in this very hour, Lord, this will be the day, the hour of their salvation. Lord, I pray as we conclude this service that you would move, that you would speak, that you would lead. I pray that in the conclusion of the service that you've been known, that you've been preached, that you've been glorified. Lord, I pray that you have your way in these next few minutes. Again, that, that you move and that you're known. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.